You may be seated as Connor reads the scripture. The word of the Lord. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also is with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And then a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, Certainly this man also is with him, for he too is Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Luke twenty-two fifty-four through 62 the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome to River Oaks Day. It is great to have all of you with us. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. I want to uh, direct your attention this morning for a moment to what we call our vision frame. I think of our vision frame as a window frame through which you can look into the future. And what we envision in the future is the fulfillment of our vision 2025. This is about a page-long document that was much prayed over and discussed amongst church leaders several years ago, and uh, I hope you'll read it on our website, but for the moment, if you'll look at the left side of the frame are values. One of those values is next-gen focus. One of the emphases of our church since we began is on the next generation, our children and our students. And if you got a bulletin on the way in today or you're reading your bulletin online, um, you'll notice something I'm particularly excited about. We, uh, in our vision, have a strong emphasis on students. You know, the Lord has placed our church next, right next door to West Forsyth High School, which I believe is, if not the largest, one of the largest high schools in our uh, county. And um, we are seeing a lot of students coming to youth ministry, coming to church. And as part of our vision, we're making an investment and a young woman named Pebbles Forbus as a missionary to our students. And uh, those of you know, who know Pebbles know that the Lord's already using her significantly to reach a lot of young men and young women. And we're just particularly excited about that. I want to let you know about that. I also want to let you know about something that relates to missions. You see, one of our values is missions-minded. And recently, as part of our presbytery, this is a regional a uh, group of about 30 churches of which we are a part, we've, ad we've adopted another, an additional unreached people group without diminishing efforts on our current unreached people group. Um, we're part of the adoption of the country of Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan is a nation of over 30 million people with a minuscule, tiny percentage of those who know and follow Jesus Christ. And I want to let you know about these two things because we're able to do this as a result of your giving. 
And I want to say thank you for your tithing, your offerings that enable us to not only give an increasing amount of money to invest in missional causes, but an increasing percentage of our total budget. And we thank you so much for that. I want to pray about these two things today, Pebble's new role and our, our uh, exciting work that's beginning in Uzbekistan. But there's one more thing I need to share with you for prayer. We got pictures this week from our much-beloved, longtime missionary, Stephen Bonda. Stephen is a native of Malawi, and Malawi has experienced in the last several days the worst cyclone in their history. Well over 200 people had died as of last week. Stephen, when he sent these pictures, said he was sending them with tears in his eyes. Many of their mud homes, buildings crumbled to the ground, roads collapsed. The damage is unbelievable in a country that's extremely poor, one of the poorest countries in the world. A lot of people depend on the gardens in their backyards for their food and sustenance. Not only is our missionary Stephen Bonda there traveling the nation, our missionaries George and Phyllis Crispy are there uh, digging wells, serving students and schools. So I'd like to ask you to join me as we pray for these three things now. So let's pray together. Father, we come as your people in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for Pebbles, Pebbles Forbus, and pray the anointing, enabling power of the Holy Spirit upon her, working through her to reach many young men and women with your gospel. Father, we pray for the nation of Uzbekistan that you'd pour out your spirit there, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would prevail in that nation, and those who are walking in darkness would see the great light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for the country of Malawi. Please pour out your mercy there. We pray the rain and the winds would cease and that restoration would begin, that you would especially protect Stephen Bonda in his work, his ministry, and that of George and Phyllis Crispy. May peace and blessing be upon that land. And now, Lord, I pray for those here this morning. Pray for those who've come in here weighed down with depression or anxiety, that you would give them relief this day, that they would sense your peace and your healing presence. I pray for those in need of guidance, that it would come through your word. For those in need of reconciliation or restoration, that that would come as well. So open our eyes now, Lord, to behold wonderful things out of your law, your word, your truth, your scripture. And we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at the passage that uh, Connor Jones read for us. And by the way, speaking of youth and speaking of missions, uh, Connor kind of combines one of those, one of our, our students who's just returned from uh, Tanzania with youth with uh, with mission. Connor, it's great to have you here. Passage you read is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. And the setting is this Jesus will soon be arrested. He'll be taken and brutally scourged, flogged, crucified. But shortly before this, of all things, his disciples have been arguing about which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest of all things at this critical time. Jesus sets them straight, gives them some correction, 
And the very next thing that happens in Luke chapter 22 is that Peter now addresses Peter's, uh, Jesus now addresses Peter's confidence in himself. And you see that in the verses on the screen. Jesus says to Peter, also known as Simon or Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now note here, Peter claims he'd follow Jesus even, even to death. He wouldn't deny him. But Jesus, of course, knows better. And he predicts Peter's denial that very day. Well, the next thing that happens is Jesus is taken and arrested. And as Connor read for us a moment ago, Peter does deny Christ. Peter followed along after Jesus' arrest so he could observe from a distance what was happening to Jesus. And so he's gathered with a group of people and a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. Now notice this was a servant girl. This was not a soldier. And Peter's already denying him. A little later, someone else said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man also is with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, we might read that and think, that's, that's awful. I mean, Peter has been with Jesus for three years, and you and I may think, I'd never do something like that. But keep in mind, Jesus has just been taken and arrested. His life is threatened. Peter well thought he could be following close behind with his life threatened. I committed my life to the Lord my freshman year of college, and that summer I was back at home at summer job working in a warehouse in Charlotte where I had worked before. And uh, one of the men I worked with over the summer, an older man, um, I guess he noticed something was a little different in my life. And he said to me, you, you haven't become one of those Christians. You haven't gotten religious, become a Christian, have you? I remember um, saying, no. And the memory is still vivid to me because I felt so convicted. And of course I repented. And of course the Lord forgave me. The Lord is incredibly patient. But I wonder sometimes if we don't deny the Lord, perhaps not by our words, but by our actions. I'm grateful for his patience. Peter recognized what he'd done, and the next thing we see in the passage is Peter's brokenness. Jesus, at a distance, turned and looked at Peter after this third denial. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how, how he'd said to him, before the rooster crows, today you'll deny me three times, and he went out and wept bitterly. Peter was grieved by what he'd done. It's very important that now Peter recognized his failure. 
He recognized his need, and this would be a critical step in his spiritual development. Jesus would later be taken after being flogged and scourged. He would be crucified. He would be crucified, dying on the cross to pay for our sins, and then raised from death. And after his resurrection, he appeared to a number of people at different times, but he made a specific appearance to Peter. Luke 24 and verse 34, the, uh, two of the disciples recount, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That is Simon Peter. Interestingly, this appearance to Simon is not recorded anywhere at this point in the Gospel of Luke. The Apostle Paul also mentions it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But apparently Jesus, after his resurrection, made a specific appearance to Peter. And then later, the disciples, Peter among them, would decide to go out fishing. And while they're out fishing, they see someone standing on the shore, and they see a, a charcoal fire. And as they look closely, one of them says, it's the Lord. Peter quickly goes ashore. They all go to shore. Jesus tells them to come and bring some of the fish they'd called and have breakfast with him. And this is the time the Lord begins a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Peter, and the Lord restores Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, and this is really important, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. I'm trusting you, Peter, to take care of the ones that I bought and paid for on the cross with my own blood. I wonder what that must have meant to Peter, that Jesus was now entrusting him with significant ministry. I wonder what that meant to him. Have you ever disappointed someone by failing them, and later they express trust in you again? You ever had that happen? Maybe as a teenager, you borrowed your dad's car and took it out, and you're, you're backing up in a restaurant, and you just happen to back up into a, a dumpster or a post, and you put a bit of a dent in your dad's car, <laughs> a little too much to cover it up or, or just ignore it. And then a couple months later, you need to run an errand, and your dad says, here are the keys, take my car. He trusts you again. Jesus is saying to Peter now, here are the keys. You, Peter, you who deny me three times, you, you feed my sheep. The Lord restores Peter. Not only that, he continues the conversation, verses 18 and 19, and he now assures Peter that he will not deny him in the future, even in the face of an horrific death. Jesus predicts Peter's death here when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus is predicting that Peter would die by crucifixion, which church history says that he did. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. 
And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus is now assuring Peter that he'll be faithful even unto death. Tradition does say Peter was crucified, church tradition. In fact, uh, it's also said that Peter, feeling unworthy to be crucified like his Lord, requested that he be crucified upside down. Later, again, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus promised his followers power. And he said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that is exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Peter was there. And at this point, Peter seems to be, from this point forward, radically different. Radically different. In fact, in, in the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, Peter's now the, the predominant figure before the apostle Paul emerges. And God uses Peter powerfully. We see the, the Lord using him on the day of Pentecost. Who's the one with thousands of people gathered around, stands up and preaches the Pentecost sermon, and it's Peter who lifts his voice and gives the first great sermon on the day of Pentecost in which 3,000 people come to know the Lord. The remarkable things done by Peter are recounted throughout these early chapters of the book of Acts. For example, in Acts chapter 5, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. This is unbelievable almost. If it weren't in the scripture, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. God's power at work in this man. So restoration of a broken Christ denier given a powerful place of ministry. Well, what does this mean for you and me? Is it just a good record of church history of Peter's life, or does it have some relevance for us? I think it has tremendous relevance for you and me. And if you're following along on the, the printed outline or digital outline, this is the fill-in-the-blank part now. We finally get to it. What does it teach us? Several things we learn from this passage. The first is this. Satan seeks to sift the faith of believers. Jesus again said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan's demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. You know, when you sift something, sometimes you're, you're purifying it. You take a, a, a wire strainer or a, a colander or something like that, and you're sifting something out. But Satan seeks to sift our faith to weaken it. How does he do that? He seeks to sift the faith of believers sometimes by, by making us bitter toward another Christian. If he can get you to hold on re deep resentment, animosity, bitterness toward another person, he will weaken your faith. Sometimes he does it by recurring temptation and compromise on our parts. Sometimes it's a temptation to deny Christ. Sometimes it's outright persecution in fear of persecution that Peter experienced. This past Friday, I bet some of you wore green. Some of you were in green today, maybe because of St. Peter's Day. And I was thinking about it on Friday, and I picked up a, a book I read uh, a couple years ago called Patrick of Ireland, his, his, his Life and His Impact by Michael Haken. Michael Haken is a great church historian. This is a super short little book. 
dark green in color, about uh, Patrick of Ireland who lived uh, many centuries ago. St. Patrick, as he's called, was known not only for his missions effort, but for uh, tremendous persecution that he endured, through which he persevered. And uh, in his confession, he writes these words, daily I expect murder, fraud, or captivity. And Michael Haken notes that on two occasions he was captured, once for as long as two months, the other was a shorter time. He relates that he was in peril of death 12 times, though he gives no details about these lest he bore the reader. <laughs> Face persecution. Even today, Countless believers face persecution for their faith. This past uh, Tuesday, Brett Canode and Pastor Wes Tuttle and I were on a Zoom call with two men in India. These are brilliant individuals that are doing translation work in uh, multiple languages in the great nation of India, which is soon to become the most populous nation in the world, projected to soon surpass China is the most populous nation in the world with lots of different languages. As we're talking to these men, it was fascinating. Uh, they shared what life was like for many of the Christians they knew in India right now, and they particularly pointed out the pastors and the need for, for prayer for them and encouragement for them because they're facing such consistent fear because the threat of persecution has arisen significantly toward them in that nation. And hearing their accounts of this was remarkable to me, sitting in my own secure basement, listening to these folks who are living in this environment that's so very different from our own. And while we may not face persecution outright like St. Patrick or like our friends today in India, Satan still seeks to sift the faith of believers. That's why Peter, after his restoration, would later write these words, your adversary the devil, like a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. Satan seeks to sift the faith of believers. Secondly, we learn this from this account of Peter. Overconfidence in our own strength leads to spiritual weakness. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, Peter, I tell you, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. One of the things that can make us susceptible to sifting, as Peter was, is overconfidence in our own strength, our own spiritual steadfastness. One of the clearest teachings of Scripture is that pride precedes a fall. God opposes the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. And the apostle Paul writes, if anyone thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. Overconfidence, overconfidence leads to a fall. Thirdly, we see this in this passage, prayer and recognition of our need for God's strength are keys to spiritual steadfastness. One of the keys to St. Patrick's perseverance in the missions that he undertook to Ireland 
uh, Michael Haken describes this way. He says, Patrick found that daily prayer is a key means of divine encouragement in times of blessing and adversity. So Jesus says, I'm praying for you, Peter, that your faith would not fail. Jesus' prayers were answered. Peter's faith did not fail. He was restored and used powerfully. Shortly after this, as Jesus would prepare to go to the cross, he would go into the garden to pray and take with him Peter and James and John and say, pray, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Prayer is born of awareness of our need for God, our need for God's help. It's born out of humility. It's born out of a recognition of need. Spiritual wholeness requires the recognition of our need for God's grace, for his intervention, for his help. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for those and only for those who recognize their need for God's forgiveness. Only those with the humility to recognize their sin can embrace the grace that's freely given to us in the gospel. Prayer and recognition of our need for God's strength are keys to spiritual steadfastness. And then finally, the Lord restores, empowers, and uses those who learn to rely on Him, on His strength. No sooner had Jesus predicted Peter's denial, and it's interesting that Jesus says this before He denies Christ. In the initial prediction, before Peter ever denies Christ, Jesus says, when you've turned, strengthen your brothers. He tells Peter he's going to deny him, but he also tells him he's going to turn. He's going to repent, and he's going to be restored. And he's going to have a ministry, and his ministry is going to include strengthening his brothers. Jesus knew he would restore Peter. He restores those who are broken. The Lord uses those who have failed. The Lord empowers those who are humble. Those who rely on His strength. This is the key to spiritual power found in Scripture. Peter would later write these words to the church. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives his grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. In Peter, we see a pattern, and it is a pattern that may well be repeated, likely will at some point in each one of our lives. It is a pattern that may be needed in some of our lives right now, and it it goes like this. You'll see a little diagram of it. Brokenness. Peter was broken when he denied the Lord. He wept bitterly. But there was restoration. God is a restorer of the soul, as King David says in the 23rd Psalm. God is a master of restoration. He restores the broken, he restores the repentant, he restores the fallen, he restores the humble. And once restored, he empowers, just as Peter was empowered on the day of Pentecost, and then he gives a ministry. When you've turned, Peter, strengthen your brothers. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter the denier 
is the, the, the empowered apostle when we get to the book of Acts. And as you look at this sequence, this process of brokenness, restoration, empowering fruitfulness, can you identify yourself anywhere in that process? Don't stay in the brokenness because God is a restorer. He calls you to restoration and to empowering and fruitfulness. But if you're living in some flagrant sin or in some way denying the lordship of Jesus Christ by your life, then brokenness is needed. And after brokenness comes the restoration and the empowering and the fruitfulness. I'm going to pause right here because I feel like the Holy Spirit may be wanting to do this work in some right now. Would you join me right now as we pray? Father, we humble ourselves before you. We pray for the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit in this room. I'm going to invite you right now, if you sense the Lord is dealing with you about the need for brokenness over some sin or the need for restoration out of your brokenness or the need for empowering that you would right now, right where you are, humble yourself before the Lord. Maybe that you want to kneel right where you are. Welcome to do that. Lift your hands to the Lord. But I'd like to pray right now, Father, that you would pour out your spirit upon your people in the name of Jesus. And for those who need to be broken in confession of sin and repentance, that you would give that grace, that you would grant them repentance, just as you did to Peter. Father, for those who are living under a, a weight of brokenness and need restoration, I pray that you'd remind them today that you're a God who restores, a God who heals, a God who fills and empowers and sets into ministry for your glory. Would you bring that blessing upon your people, Lord? And we thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' holy name.